welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Halverson. In every episode of this podcast, I chat to established leaders and exciting new voices exploring our ever-evolving field of content strategy. We cover all the topics that inform how we shape digital content, from user experience design to customer experience, accessibility to content design, and everything in between. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome back to the podcast. I have missed you. In my heart, I have missed you. And I have been anxious to have you back because this week, we have a very dear friend of mine who is here on the podcast. Tanissa Gemmelke is the program manager here at Brain Traffic. She is always looking for ways for folks to share knowledge and support each other's work in content strategy and user experience. When she's not hosting educational events, she is probably eating cheese. Tanessa, what are you doing? Oh, hi, Christina. I know you. Are you eating cheese? I'm not eating cheese. I'm uh, I'm here at Brain Traffic. You, I am also here at Brain Traffic. You, I, I feel like you're two rooms away. You know why? Huh. I am. Oh, right. We came back to the office pretty much the minute everybody was fully vaccinated. Uh, we've got a small office here in Minneapolis with very tall ceilings and very warehousey drafts. And we felt like it was probably okay to be back together because we had missed each other's faces. And I wanted to be here today so much that I decided I would try to record here in the office. And so I uh, apologize in advance for the echoes and any sirens that may go by or beagles that you may hear howling in the background. But again, Tanessa is just a few doors over. And I have asked her as a very special guest here on the podcast, because we have something going on right now at Brain Traffic, and it is our call for speakers for CONFAB, our content strategy conference that has been around for, my gosh, 10 years, 11 years. And Tanessa is our program manager and responsible for our call for speakers and managing program curation. So Tanessa is going to be giving tips on how to deliver a super awesome talk proposal, which actually you have probably reviewed almost 3,000, if not 4,000 proposals over the last many years. Yeah, we we get about 300 for every confab and we've had many, many confabs, sometimes up to four a year. And we have button. We have so many notches in our conference belts. It's, that's, that's what I say. <laughs> I know. It's just so fun. We can't stop. So, okay. So, but before we get to those tips, Tanessa, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about you. And we did say before the interview, it's a little weird because I know the answer to all these questions, but there are a lot of people listening that don't. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your journey to becoming program manager here at Brain Traffic. Well, I'm going to start at the very beginning because I love telling this story and somebody hasn't heard it. I worked in the banks building here in Minneapolis for another company. And uh, this this woman named Christina Halverson approached us and said, hey, I need to borrow your Wi-Fi. Could I, could I do that? And I'll just come and like give her staff a talk. And we were a scrappy nonprofit and that sounded you know, we would have done it for free, but but the fates decided that Christina Halverson would show up and give us a lunchtime talk. And I was practically giving a standing ovation because she described content strategy and it was all the problems we had. And I was like, that, that is what I want to do. So that that's how I started. Uh, and then I followed 
the brain traffic blog and loved all the articles there. And I heard that there was this new conference that Christina was hosting called Confab. That sounded amazing. And I applied for a job at brain traffic. So I started out as a content strategist, a baby content strategist. And one month after I started doing content strategy, I had to fly to Madrid and act like I knew what I was doing. That was exciting. But I just dove in and brain traffic is a really great place to learn while you're doing. And I did that. But I've always had a penchant for events. I have events in my background. And so the first confab, although I was technically a content strategist, I sort of weaseled in and said, I'm going to help with this. Will you let me help with this? And uh, you and Eric Wester let me. So that's that's where I started. And, you know, I staged a coup and overthrew Eric Westra. Um, <laughs> that didn't happen. That didn't happen. No, I've, I've worked my way up to being the program manager. And I have lovely colleagues named Amy Pletch and Sean Tubridy, who also helped make Confab go. We are small and scrappy, and it's just the best. It is the best. We sometimes do say, I'll go ahead and say it, that we make magic around here. But I will say another thing that we usually follow that up with is that we are only able to make magic with our events because our community is also magic. Yeah, why why are content people the best people? Like what are your thoughts around that? And I and I don't just say this to like pander to our listening audience, but I honestly regularly just kind of look around at the people I work with, not just here, but our speakers and the people who attend the events and our clients. And it's just like people who care about content problems and challenges and opportunities to make content more useful and usable and inclusive are just good people. Why do you think that is? I think it's a combination of things. I think there there is sort of inherent in content strategy, a desire to help. You know, when we talk about making things useful and usable, that's trying to help. It's trying to help people find the answers to their questions. It's trying to help them find solutions to their problems, uh, find long lost friends, whatever, whatever the case, making it easier for people to get done what they want to get done is just helpful. And I think that's a really a kind characteristic in a, a human being. And I also think they're just smart, so smart, like super duper smart. And the combination of being smart and being helpful somehow often seems to come along with being hilarious. I don't know, I don't know why. why. I don't know why that is, but it's really true. Yeah, it's just, I, it's, there's something about caring this much about arguing over Oxford commas, I guess, that makes us hilarious in our own well, way. Yeah, well, the other thing that I find too is that people, there are, there are, fields in which people can be relatively self-serious, right? Like, they, I mean, it's not that we don't, that we don't take our work seriously. It's just that we don't take ourselves so seriously. I don't think For sure. so. It, this is just a, this is just an entire interview to talk about how much we love people who love content. Is that what we're here to talk about today? It's not even pandering. It's just the truth. <laughs> it's just the truth. Tanessa, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the history of Confab. When did it start? Why did it start? What changes have you seen? Just Go to town. Go to town on Confab. I will go to town on Confab every day. The first Confab was in 2011. And my recollection is that, Christina, you posted something on Twitter to the effect of, if everybody comes to my conference, I'll give you cake. That was, I think, the marketing plan initially. It was it was actually asking people to retweet 
like people oh, who retweeted, oh, oh, I like I'm, I have a conference. Will you please retweet this so other people know about it? We will give you cake if you do that. We'll give you free cake. And like uh, 800 people retweeted it. And this was early in Twitter. So 800 retweets was like a gajillion. Anyway, that happened. And that was not false advertising. Uh, I believe we've given people cake at every confab since. Every confab. Uh, so we we started it and there were all these plucky content strategy people, many of whom did not have content strategy anywhere in their job title or description, but they knew it was a thing and they cared about it. And they all got together and there was this vibe of just like, oh, we found each other. We all found each other. And it was very exciting. And it was, we were making it up as we went. And you know, it was like the beginning of things like Facebook and Twitter. And I mean, it wasn't the very beginning, but it was early enough in those days where, you know, somebody would come and say like, this is how we write our UX copy, which I don't even think we called it UX writing then. Mm-hmm. But but we, you know, we sort of got this group together and everybody was so excited about it. And we kept it at one conference a couple of times, but then we started trying to go around different places. We did create some conferences for specific groups. So we did a confab for higher ed. We started doing confab intensives, which were workshop-based conferences where people could do more deep dives on topics. Just as we looked at who the audience was and what they were looking for, we ended up going back to the one big confab to rule them all. And it's what's been great about that. What what seems to work about that is that we sort of have this this combination of the family reunion for people who have been to every confab, every single one, and they can't wait to see their friends and go sing karaoke, and that's great. But there is also this wonderful community where we just don't do clicks. We don't. We we have new people come every year. And our speakers and our attendees are so welcoming. And so to have everybody go to the same event, I think, is, has become a really important thing. So the, the one big confab party has been just a really great uh, celebration every year, even when it's been virtual. So you have had a front row seat to topics that were introduced at the first event in 2011 all the way through topics that were presented now in 2021. What is what has changed and what has stayed the same? Talk to me a little bit about what you've seen in terms of trends around what people are excited about and what they care about. Yeah, you know, I think in the beginning we were still we were still really working out terminology and even making the case for content strategy at all. Um, so we saw a lot of how to get buy-in and that's for sure still a relevant topic, but it was like everybody's biggest pain point, I think in the beginning was how do, how do I get people to care about content strategy or let me, let me say that's what I do and take that lens to our work. And I think there was also a lot of grappling with, you know, like content management systems <laughs> and it was, you know, some, it was just sort of this nitty gritty, what is this that we're doing and how do we do it? The topics to me at that time seemed very practical and not that they aren't still practical, but I think, I think we have some more ambitious topics that are, I, I think more important, but also more in demand. Like how, how do we make things as accessible as possible? How do we create inclusive experiences and how do we take on racial injustice at company? You know, like when we had all that happening last year, 
where companies are like, oh, oh, we have to say something <laughs> about this. I'm really proud of our community because they were talking about that long before last year. And but that the demand for those loftier topics of like, how do we make I think we have a, a quote from Anne Lamott when she spoke at Confab. She said, um, I, I didn't I came and I didn't know what content strategy was, but I know that there are a lot of people trying to make the Internet suck less. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> you know, I think that's really like at the beginning, we we were trying to make the Internet suck less by like fixing broken systems in terms of like how to publish. And now I think we're seeing a lot more fixing broken systems in terms of like, what's wrong with the world? <laughs> like we have people talking about how content influences the climate crisis. You know, what's the, what's the footprint or whatever of the way we publish. And that, you know, we weren't talking about that 10 years ago. So I just, I think the topics have gotten bigger and more uh, ambitious in a way that's really good. And, and I will say we, we've always balanced that. We still have the really straightforward, like how to do a thing talks as well. Yeah. That is always when, when people ask, I know either one of us, Oh, what should I pitch? What's a good thing to talk about? An underlying thing that I often hear is sort of, nobody really cares about what I have to say or what I do, everybody already knows about it. And so it's not going to be interesting or special, or I don't really have, you know, the purview at my organization or even on my team to be able to sort of tackle and address some of those loftier, more ambitious topics. What, what do you say to those people? So I, I, everybody has a talk in them. That's first and foremost, everybody has a talk in them. And I, you know, the other question I sometimes get along those same lines is, and I, nobody means this, you know, in a bad way, but sort of like, which topic can I submit that nobody else will submit? So I get picked <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I, Cause you know, some years we'll get a pile of 20 pitches about AI and some years we'll get one. And it's, uh, you know, we, we're always surprised when we see the pile of like, what's, what bubbles up as the big topic. I mean, one thing that I have seen in content strategists is their ability to, to go after those loftier things, regardless of their job title or where they sit in the organization, that there is a, you know, we're very persuasive people <laughs> and we're good at documenting our case. And so I, I think anybody anywhere in an organization can speak to the desire for big changes or improvements. But in terms of like the advice about whether or not they should pitch or what they should pitch, I also really encourage people to think about the thing that they are often helping others do or explaining to people, because that's where you're really comfortable. That's where you know what you're doing. And there are still plenty of people who are struggling with the same kinds of structured content things that we were talking about 10 years ago. There are, there are always new people coming into the field. We get a lot of people at Confab who are pretty new to content strategy, strategy and their companies send them to sort of get trained. So I, I think there are a lot of topics that are really pretty evergreen. And I think whatever you are passionate about or whatever you are really drawn to in your daily work, I think you can speak about it. And I think there will be people who need to learn from you. 
So let's get back to what I promised at the top of our conversation, which is tips on pitching a talk because our confab call for speakers is open right now for 2022. And our intention is to have that event here in Minneapolis. And we've already gotten so many requests for ticket pricing information because people are already requesting budget for it. And so we we hope it's going to be a real big fun party to welcome all of our first timers to Confab and and also welcome back folks who've been there before. But you have some, again, because of your thousands of proposals that you've reviewed, you've got kind of a list of, of tips and tricks for people who are considering submitting a proposal, not only to Confab, but maybe to Button or maybe another UX or marketing or CMS or any or technical writing or any other you know conference. Can you tell us some of those? Can you share some of those tips? Absolutely. I have a few different things, but I think the number one thing that I like to let people know, it's very similar to reading resumes, right? Like if you have 200 people apply for a job and which resumes are going to stand out to you. I once had somebody put dog paw prints on a resume. I'm like, okay, yeah, it stood out, but I didn't pick them. (laughs) So so it's, it's not like, I don't want to encourage people to sort of be too cute or too precious, but to consider that, that you're, pitching to someone who's reading 300 proposals. And so having any kind of confusing title, you know, we're we're scanning for topics, we're scanning for what the takeaways are. So really making that pitch as clean and easy to digest as possible. So if the title is something, you know, based on pop culture and I don't get the reference, it's really hard for me as a reviewer to sort of get into what it even is. Um, Thankfully, so I, you are very up on pop culture and you get all <laughs> the references. Well, and what I tell people is you can you can make the talk at, you know, fill it with Game of Thrones references. That's great. So the talk can go in that direction, but the pitch doesn't have that luxury. The pitch needs to be like, here's what you're going to get. Why is somebody's boss going to pay us money to put you on stage. We need to pick talks that will really help people get better at their jobs. So making it as clear to the reviewer as possible how that how your talk does that, who it's helping, how it's helping them, what they'll take away. So just really making it as straightforward as possible is helpful. And then later you can get creative. Later you know you can do the the funky slides or the metaphors or whatever else gets you going. I think that's fantastic. Some That's some of the best talks, but initially getting through the review is, I think it's important to be really clear. And we talked about how there are topics that are evergreen and then there are topics that get popular and it's, it's so unpredictable and it, and it'll be really fun. I, I remember this one year and I don't know if you'll remember this, Christina, this is a long time ago, but we were just like, why is every pitch about empathy? Like, was there no empathy last year? Like, what happened? <laughs> And so it's, we don't know what's in the water that causes certain topics to bubble up and become like the thing. And, you know, sometimes there's a societal event or like I said, with climate change, it's just a looming concern, but sometimes it's just, you know, for whatever, maybe somebody wrote a really amazing blog post that just got everybody really fired up about templates or who knows, but there'll be some kind of swell in popularity. And when when that happens, we will sometimes pick, you know, two or maybe three. But there's there, it's it's also really likely that if you're competing with 30 versus three people, 
your talk won't get picked. So I, I don't want to just say like, oh, just talk about what you love or what you're really passionate about, because I know that's not helpful. But I think if you can come up with a new angle or a new way to talk about it, or you have a real uh, snazzy way of auditing, I just said snazzy way of auditing. I've been doing this job for too long, Christina. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know what, when you love content strategy, auditing can be snazzy. It can be. It's, it's the snazziest, but I, I think, I, I think, you know, bringing something fresh is great if you can. I don't know how to say this in a way that sounds helpful, but don't have any ulterior motives. Like if you're trying to pitch your agency or if you're trying to, if you're trying to sell a product, you know, you've got a tool that content strategists would use. Our, our audience is so savvy and they can see through a sales pitch in a heartbeat. And we can, in our review too, you know, when we're reviewing proposals, if there's anything in it that sounds like, oh, you are just trying to get leads or you're trying to court customers in general, that's just, that's not a good experience for the audience. That's not, they, they aren't there to be sold to at least not during the talks. I mean, it, I always encourage people, if you if you have needs as a sponsor, you know, we have great sponsorship opportunities. People, there are lots of sponsors who are looking to recruit. They're looking to grow their mailing list. Like we can, we can help with sponsorships, but the talk isn't the place for it. That's, that's a place where you actually, it can be kind of a turnoff. Like we've had a few, a few talks that people actually got kind of dinged on because it was, it wasn't what the audience wanted. So I think really thinking about what's in it for the audience, what will they take away? You know, so not focusing on just the story you have to tell, you have to tell about your work or the case study of how you did it, but the gift that you'll give, right? Like where, what will you leave them with? What will, what will they take away? What's going to make their job easier the next Monday? That's, that's the stuff that makes for a really good talk. That is always, what you just said is always one of the number one pieces of feedback that I give to people that changes the nature of their talk, which is people in the audience have got to walk out of there fired up to do a thing the Monday yep. they get back into the office. They have to not only have you know had light bulbs go off and new context provided or a new way to talk about things or a new way to tackle a problem or new problem identification in the first place and being able to get at it from that angle, that that it is so key for a talk pitch to be able to say, after this presentation, audience members will be able to do what? That really helps helps a proposal stick out, I think. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, like I said, some of those problems never go away, right? But sometimes you are getting buy-in for a project and sometimes you are, but people might need to hear it again even if it's something they know they might need new ways to try you know and i do want to come back around to something that you just said because although i do think it is important and exciting for people to come to the proposal process with like a new lens on an old problem or a new way to talk about something that's been discussed before i you know I, as a speaker myself i've been giving talks for 12 years and 
I, for a long time after my initial kind of breakthrough of content strategy 101, here's why this is important. And here's how we can talk about it. And here's how you can make the case to whatever. And here are the basics and fundamentals of content strategy. I started to get really antsy about, okay, I have to help move this conversation forward. I have to dig in deeper. I have to come up with new, you know, ways to new content strategy or new ways to think about content strategy. And I I took a, one of my mentors is Jared Spool and I kind of took the problem to him and I was just like, Jared, I just don't, I'm so busy and I don't get to do as much client work and I'm on the road and I'm so worried. I don't have any new insights. And he said, Christina, you can teach content strategy 101 for the rest of your life and still be busy every single day of the year because the problems that people wrangle with when it comes to content ideation, creation, publication, measurement, evaluation, retirement, a lot of those problems just never go away. And I tell people who are worried about having something new to say that story all the time, because that that is something that is both, I don't know, it's interesting, it's exciting to me that, that just like we're, even though it can also be kind of exhausting, but that we are constantly <laughs> helping organizations mature, right? When it comes to not only how they are doing content, but more how they're thinking about content and how they're continually connecting it and reconnecting it to their end user needs. And so I think any topic around, you know, content and content in UX and content design that can bring back into view the end user and what their needs are and how we can understand them and how we can best serve them is going to be something that really catches our eye. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I just encourage people to like say where it's at. We actually, one of the questions we ask on our proposal form is sort of who is this for? Like who's the ideal audience for this? And no, you don't get to say everyone, but I think if it's like, oh, this is great for somebody who is, is brand new to content strategy, or this is great for people who want a refresher on, you know, like it's, it's okay to say this is, these are, this is basic. <laughs> like those talks are still important. We still have an audience for those talks every year. One of the pieces of feedback I give our speakers constantly when we're doing coaching is to get nerdier. Like don't mm-hmm. worry about oversimplifying things. Like these are smart, curious people who are looking you know, to solve problems and need tools and methodology to do it. So even if the problem is a problem that that an organization who does not have mature content practices, like people aren't communicating across silos about the content that's required. Okay, well, we don't need sort of an outline of like how to, you know, hold more meetings, do brown bag lunches, expose your work. Like what are the specifics? What are uh, what are case studies? Tell us a story about how that worked for you at your organization. So although we can talk about problems as being 101, the nerdier and more specific you can get about how to solve that problem and tackle it, the more excited we're going to be. Oh, for sure. And I asking you to get nerdier doesn't mean everybody's going to judge you if it's not nerdy. It's it's not that at all. Like it's it's the it's like a hunger. People are hungry for just like the the Really, nitty really. gritty. When you get on the stage, everybody in the room is rooting for you to succeed. Like they're Absolutely. not sitting back going, okay, show me what you've got. They're like, yeah, you're one of us. Go. What are some of the things that just make you toss something to the side without even bothering to, you know, consider it or read it all the way through? Well, there, there, I will say we don't get as many of these as 
I'm sure other events do. We're very lucky. We mostly get very high quality pitches. You know, there are a certain number of inspirational speaker types that pitch keynotes to every conference on planet earth. So there are some that it's like, that's just, it's not about content strategy. It's, it doesn't make any sense to me just as a human with the ability to watch a talk. It just, it's like just so (laughs) off. And then I think the other category that is sort of adjacent, but, but is different is when people get really jargony. So if it's, uh, and I'm not talking jargon, like inside baseball about how content design works. I'm talking jargon, like synergistic ways to maximize your content marketing engine. Like that's just not how we talk. We don't take ourselves that seriously. And we just don't pick speakers who do. We don't pick talks where where the the speaker is invested in this sort of alternative language that doesn't make sense to our audience. Like I said, there may be buried in the talk something that could be useful, but we aren't picking that up because it's buried in jargon. Yeah, I would agree. That is oftentimes the thing that will cause me to want to like just toss something to the side. If I see jargon and something that is just like wildly overwritten, where obviously they're trying to either be somebody that they're not, or they are writing for like a a marketing conference that, you know, has got like a lot of, I don't know, strobe lights and, you know, million dollar (laughs) sets. And I don't, uh, anyway. Okay. Tanessa, we are just about out of time. I, my final question for you is this, what is really getting you out of bed in the morning these days? We are all so tired. We are tired of the pandemic. We are tired of the news. We are tired of our kids being at home. Everyone is so tired. What is getting you up out of bed in the morning? I have to say it actually is my kids, which is like such a cheesy answer, but I, I have these three amazing teenage boys who live in my house. Yes, it used to be four. One of them graduated and moved away. For those of you who follow me on Twitter and hear me complain constantly about my grocery bill, the kids are, they're so resilient in the face of all of this. And they're so, they're funny and they're they work so hard and I, and like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. I got to, I got to show up. <laughs> so I think that really helps me keep perspective on days when I have to, you know, like reinvent an in-person conference as a virtual conference, for example, um, for example that, that just kind of keeping perspective about like these humans, these humans in my life who need me to function. It's, it's very compelling. I don't think that's cheesy at all. I think that's awesome. I think you're awesome. And I I want you to work with you. Hey, Tanessa, thank you so much. We're so busy around here and you've got, you're carrying so many plates and juggling so many balls. And I really appreciate your taking the time to chat. And if people are interested in submitting a talk proposal for Confab, where should they go? If you go to confabevents.com and look at the nav and click speaking at Confab, you will get right to the spot where you can submit a talk. Talks are, the submissions are due on September 17th. It's coming up. By midnight Pacific time. And we would love to read 10 to 20 talks by each of you. Exactly. So hurry up and start thinking. All right, Tanessa, thank you so much for joining me here on the Content Strategy Podcast. Thanks, Christina. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Content Strategy Podcast. 
Our podcast is brought to you by Brain Traffic, a content strategy services and events company. It's produced by Robert Mills with editing from Bear Value. Our transcripts are from Rev.com. You can find all kinds of episodes at contentstrategy.com. And you can learn more about Brain Traffic at braintraffic.com. See you soon.